It was several years ago that I heard the story of a youth group that wanted to practice uh, love. Now, they had studied love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and they had gone through what the scriptures said. Perhaps you're familiar with that chapter, but they decided they wanted to put it into practice. And so they decided that they would uh, engage on a service project. And what they decided to do was go, and uh, this was about the, the fall season of the year, and they picked a couple of streets in some older areas of town uh, where they knew that many older families and people who couldn't get out and rake their leaves would live. They went down the street with different crews, these two, three, four streets, and they just went about the business of loving their neighbor. They would go down with a rake in one hand and a trash bag in the other, Teams of teenagers going up and down the street. This caused a little bit of a commotion on a Saturday morning on these few streets. As none of these neighbors had asked anyone to come to their home and rake their leaves. And so as teenagers began to move from one house to the next, uh, no leaf left unpicked up. uh, These neighbors began to come outside on their porches, began to study them and look at them. Pretty soon they figured out that they were not, once they were finished with their yard, they weren't coming to them asking for payment or anything in return. They were just moving on to the next house. That didn't sit well with some of them. They had literally little old ladies with walkers chasing them down, as much as they could chase, chasing them down with money in their hands to offer them payment for a work that they were doing in the name of Jesus. I tell you that story to set up what we're talking about today. We are in 2016, as you know by now, talking about strong and courageous. That means something. When we talk about being a strong and courageous church, it means that it requires doing things that require strength and courage. As we've ventured now into this series called Strong Church, we've been talking about the one another verses, as Mark mentioned. And we talked about how to love one another and how to uh, pray for one another and how to show devotion to one another. And today we're going to talk about serving one another. It's that old joke where it's the preacher's job to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That's what this sermon is going to do a little bit today. But the good news is at Northside, we have a good servant culture. I really think we do. And to me, that's very important, not just to brag on ourselves, but to me, one of the key factors of the health of a church is not how much we look inward, but how much we look outward, how much we serve and love and show love as those teenagers did on those streets all those years ago. You see, when we do what we're called to do as a church in serving one another, the world pays attention. There is a reason that Jesus called us to serve, and we're going to look at four of them this morning. Now, I can sum up all those reasons with four basic words, and hopefully you'll remember these today. Save people, serve people. Save people, serve people. When I said we have a good servant culture, uh, that to me is that idea of save people, serve people. It's what 
people of Jesus, disciples, men and women who walk after the Savior's teaching and his example, it's what we do naturally. And so a good measure of the health of any church is to take a step back and ask yourself, how does that church serve? If you look at how they serve, it'll tell you if they're saved. Saved people serve people for a number of reasons. First, saved people serve people because our Savior served. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said to his disciples, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, man, a ransom for many. Now think about this picture. Jesus, the night before he would fulfill his purpose, not just the purpose of that night, not just the purpose of his three-year ministry. Not just the purpose of his life. All history and time was converging on this very moment. His whole purpose that had been prophesied about for thousands of years before he ever came was converging on this night. This was a big night for Jesus. And in that moment, sacred as it was, Jesus was not thinking of himself. He was thinking of his disciples. He took the time to tend to a menial duty, a duty reserved for servants, not just any servants, but usually the low servant on the pole, was given the job of washing the feet of the guests. You didn't see someone take a knee and grab a towel and a wash basin that was, a, that was someone who was at the very bottom of the rankings. There was no notoriety there. This was a position you wanted to move from, not to. And yet Jesus called his disciples, not only by his teaching, but also by his example, to move to here. Instinctively, as Christians, as those who are the followers of Jesus, we are called to move here, to take a knee, to take a towel, and get about the business of serving. That's easy to say and perhaps easy to illustrate. It's harder to act out. Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's not merely a matter of knowing that Jesus served. It's a matter of doing as he did. Those who make the biggest impact in the church and in the world are not those who are too important to do the smallest things for others. I am reminded of an example several years ago. As one Sunday morning, I came up early. It was in the wintertime. We had uh, had a pretty good snow-ice mixture that was on the ground. And as I pulled into the parking lot, the men that I see 
pouring down salt, pulling out shovels, and preparing the way for the family here at Northside to worship. Deacons? No. Ministry leaders? No. Elders? Shepherds? That's good leadership. Now, I I think if a church has the elders doing all the serving, that's not healthy either. But don't you know what a great example it was to see uh, guys who are technically my boss taking a knee, taking a shovel, picking up that snow and ice, scooping the salt, not because they had to, but because they saw something that needed to be done, and they did it. They didn't pay attention to position or power or prestige. They didn't say, well, I'm an elder at Northside. No. They saw something that needed to be done, and they did it. And I wasn't the only one who saw them. And so that example left an impression upon multiple people who said to themselves, if they can, I can. If they will, I will. That's who Jesus called us to be, not to be too big to do even the smallest thing. Secondly, save people, serve people, because our Father create, I'm sorry, our Father enabled us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul writes there, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if you think about all those years ago, whatever your age is, plus nine months, as you were in your mother's womb, and God was knitting together your DNA that would instruct your cells to build and to grow, everything that is you, that on that DNA, the Lord put your gifts, your abilities, The perspective that you have, the way that you think about things. Now, if you think that God made everything in the world with purpose and for a reason, then you better believe that every way in which he made you is for a purpose and for a reason. I think of this when I hear this song by Matthew West. It's called Do Something. And part of the song goes like this. I woke up this morning... And saw a a world full of trouble now. Thought, how'd we ever get so far down? How's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. And I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty. Children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven. And said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. He put you here in this time, in this place, for a purpose. He gave you your gifts and your abilities for a purpose. As Peter said, the verse has already been read. As each has received a gift, 1 Peter 4.10, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Don't you think about serving one another is really a stewardship issue. It's taking all of that which God has given you, 
And even though he's given you all of your gifts and abilities and insight and wisdom, it's up to you whether or not you're going to use it. It's up to you whether or not you're going to use it selfishly or servingly. You get to choose. He's enabled you to do it, but you have to act in order to make a difference. And that leads us to our third point. It makes a difference. Save people, serve people, because it makes a difference. Paul wrote to the church at Gal- uh, Galatian, to the Galatian church, and he said, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see, serving requires no special talent or special gifts. Maybe some of you have, but it doesn't require that. It's great when you use your talents to serve, but you don't have to be skilled or gifted or particularly able to serve. Just willing. You need only a willingness to see someone's need and then to go about the business of meeting it. I tell a personal story. It's somewhat embarrassing. There was a Sunday when I came in and we were preparing for worship. I think I was sitting right over there about where Brent Cothran is sitting. And I had crossed my legs like Brent's crossed his. Now, I didn't think anything about it, but I had forgotten that for several weeks I had had a hole in the bottom of my shoe. It was one of those little things like, oh, I see it. I better get to that. I, I need to go replace those shoes. But I just keep thinking, no one's ever going to see the bottom of those shoes. So I just keep walking. And I just keep wearing. And as I'm sitting there that Sunday morning, unbeknownst to me, there's someone sitting across the aisle who's looking at the youth minister and thinking, man, we need to pay that guy more. (laughs) Now, he's really looking at the bottom of my shoe. And he's saying, now think of all the things he could have thought there. He could have said, Toby, you need to take better care of yourself. Why don't you pay attention? You're a preacher. You're a minister. You ought to be paying attention to the details. Come on now. It could have been condescending because, well, I guess I'm doing better than levering. You can't even afford good shoes. Or he could have been a servant. And that's what he did. And after church, he came up to me nonchalantly, just handed me a $100 bill. He said, this is just a gift from me to you. I saw your shoes are wearing out. You might need a new pair. Very humbling. But I didn't tell that story to be about me. I told that story to remind you of who this church, of what kind of people we are. I'd thank them personally. They're here this morning, but I don't think they did it for that reason. That's what true servanthood is all about. I see the weathers over there. They told me the story just a couple of weeks ago when they were moving their oldest son, Brendan, to the University of Arkansas out in Fayetteville. Jim texted me and told me about the experience. He said, we showed up with tons of boxes, a long walk, and some stairs ahead of us. Every other family had carts and dollies. Except for us. But we were met at the stairs 
by the six member by six members of the local church campus ministry. I loved his remark that carts are overrated. <laughs> you see why that matters? You see why I can tell you a story a decade and a half after it happened about a, a guy who saw a holy shoe and didn't complain about the holy shoe, but saw it as an opportunity to use his gift to help another. That I can tell a story just a couple of weeks ago about a campus ministry that I've never been a part of, that you now all are very curious and intrigued about because of how they served. How you serve makes an impact on the world. It's how we show our love. It's how we make a difference. In the world, the lesser serve the greater. The higher you get, the, the more people serve you and answer to you and so forth. That's not the way it's supposed to be in the kingdom. The kingdom works differently. With Jesus, the greatest in the kingdom serve the least. In the upside-down kingdom of God, greatness consists not in power or privilege or position, but in serving one another in love. And it, beyond impacting the church and the world, it really impacts us the most. If you're a person who lately you, you've been very negative, you find yourself complaining more and more and bemoaning your lot in life, you know what you need to do? You need to serve somebody. You need to get your head out of your head and start getting into someone else's world a little bit and focus on someone else. Serving trains us out of selfishness. If you've got problems and trials and struggles, the first thing you ought to ask yourself is, who can I help today? It changes the church. It changes the world. It changes us. I, uh, it's no secret that I like Chick-fil-A. One thing that really impresses me about Chick-fil-A is they have this servant culture I wanted to ask them about that, so I went and met with Jason Lansdowne. Jason is uh, the owner-operator of the Chick-fil-A at 21st and Mays. And I asked him, how is it that every Chick-fil-A I go to has this culture that is so above and beyond what I get at every other fast food restaurant? He said, well, you know, it's how they train us to look for team members. So what do you mean? He said, well... In my world, there's a lot of turnover, a lot of teenagers, and, and, and just there's just a lot of turnover in the people that I have from any month to month. So I really have to look for people that are the right kind of fit. He said, I, I tell you who I always look for. I'm looking for people who serve. I said, yeah, well, I mean, give me an example, because I guess everybody kind of does that, right? He said, okay, so when, when I interview a, a high school student, I'll sit him down here in this bench, and we'll sit across from each other. I'll ask him if I can get him a, a Coke or something, get him relaxed a little bit and ask him about themselves. I'll, I'll ask him about their work experience and why they want to work at Chick-fil-A. And while I'm doing that, I'll, I'll hold a pen, now, presumably to take notes and write things down. But the, really, the purpose of the pen, there's one reason. Because as I'm going through the interview process with that student, at some point during the interview, I will drop the pen. And they don't know it, but at that very moment, what they're choosing is whether or not they really want to work for me. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. See, 
was a man after my own heart. <laughs> See, Sean got it. Didn't he? That's what being a north side servant culture is all about. See, we can look at the pen on the ground. I'll throw it and you don't have to pick it up this time. And I really didn't cue him to do that. You can be the type of person at a church who walks by and says, there's a pen on the ground. Who dropped that pen? Probably the youth minister. Who dropped that pen? You know, the elders really ought to do something about that pen. You know, who dropped that pen? We need a committee of pen picker-uppers or something. Mark's the involvement minister. Maybe we ought to get him involved in that. And we walk by pens all the time. And what Jesus calls us to do is to be people who don't let pens stay on the ground. Whether that's one-on-one, whether that's in a small group, whether that's as a class, our job is not just to be a problem seer, but to be a problem solver. The truth is, everyone sees problems. That's not hard to do. That doesn't make you extraordinary by any measure. Everyone sees problems. The people who make the impact and the difference in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus are the people who attempt to solve problems. Anyone can say, here's what's wrong with this and this and this and this and this and this. But the real question is, what did you do to solve the problem? Jesus called us in his kingdom to be solvers, not just seers. So when you see a building like a church that has overgrown shrubs and weeds and needs some mulch, you don't say, sure wish somebody would do something about it. You say, I could do something about it. When you say, this generation today, I don't even know... Look at them. I mean, they're playing Pokemon Go. It, no. They say, I'll be a prayer pal. They say, I'll make an impact. You could be a person who says, well, no one talks to me and no one pays attention to me. Nobody wants to be my friend. Everybody's in a clique except for me. Or you could go up and say, hi, welcome to Northside. I'm glad you're here. I don't know you. But I'd like to know you. You could say, you know, our class doesn't do enough. We don't, I don't like our leaders. They don't email enough or social media enough or do these things. We sure could do better at that. Or you could go to your class leaders and say, hey, I'd like to help you and organize something. You can look at problems or you can do something about them. You can lead Or you can criticize those who lead, but you cannot do both. God calls us to lead by serving. And here's probably the most, the biggest one. Say people serve people because it matters eternally. Imagine for a minute, just for a minute if you can, what do you envision Judgment Day to be like? I know there's that song, I can only imagine. What will happen? They're like, Will there be a big line? Will there be a massive crowd? Will I be able to see the face of Jesus or just be a blinding light? Will I stand or will I bow? What will that whole day be like? 
Perhaps you've run through that scenario in your own mind and you've thought, oh man, I don't even know. You know, Jesus told us at least one of the things that he's going to ask us. He did. You remember those teachers back in school? They were the really good teachers. They'd say, now there's a test coming up two weeks from now. Here's exactly what's going to be on the test. And if you're paying attention, if you're a good student, you're writing it down. Everything that the teacher told you. And so you'd study to the test. You'd say, I just need to know what this teacher says I need to know. I need to do what the teacher says to do. Jesus was a good teacher. And he told us what was going to be on the test. If you want to know, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus described test day. He said, when the Son of Man comes in glory, this is about verse 31 of Matthew 25, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit. And the righteous will answer, Lord, when, when did we do this? When did we see you in need? He said, when you see sick, when you, I tell you the truth, where whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, wait a second. If you think about that, he's telling you on judgment day, you're going to think about your list. You just say, well, I, I was baptized 25 years ago. I've been in church, goodness, hmm, man, at least 5,000 times. Taking communion that many times for sure. I taught a Bible class here and there. Uh, I, I think I've done everything Jesus wanted. But Jesus said, I'm not going to ask about that stuff on Judgment Day. He's going to have a different list. He's going to have a list of about six things. And the list is, did you feed the hungry? Did you give drink to the thirsty? Did you invite strangers in? Did you clothe the naked? Did you care for the sick? Did you visit the prisoners? That's Jesus telling us what will be on the test. I'm not saying the other things don't matter. Certainly he commanded even some of those things. But what he's going to ask about on judgment day has everything to do with whether or not you understood serving one another. You see, you have your list and it's probably pretty long and it's probably made up of things that you've already done. And Jesus has his list. And if I'm really honest, 
Kobe here? I've done two. Because I was focused on my list and not his. Jesus is less concerned, or will be, with what you've done for you and more concerned with what you've done for others. The bottom line is you can't be a Christ follower and only serve yourself. Jesus called us to go above and beyond. Jesus reminds us that he's got a different list. And it's good to be reminded. You say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. We're we talking about earning our salvation here and, and doing good works? And that's not what I'm talking about. You don't do those good things to be saved. You do those good things because you're saved. And when Jesus makes an impact and his life makes an impact on you, you do what he did. And you take a towel and you take a knee. Well, what do I do about it? What do I do? Well, first I'm going to tell you, start today. You know, if you, if you are, the problem is, well, on this point, is I've got two groups of people at Northside. I've got people that are this core 20% group, and they do everything, and they hear this sermon and go, oh, man, I need to do more. And I've got another group of people who have come to Northside. It's a large-sized church, and we can do lots of things. And very honestly, they sit back and they go, you know, it's kind of nice to be served. It's kind of nice to have somebody park my car. It's kind of nice to have somebody else teach Bible classes. It's kind of nice to have somebody else greet me at the door. It's kind of nice to have somebody else take care of my kids. It's kind of nice to have somebody else lead our class. I really want to speak to you. I want to speak to you and ask you to start today taking seriously Serving because you're saved. And because Jesus left that example. So I want you to begin thinking about today. You need help? Start with Jesus' list. Have I had, have fed hungry people? Have I gave thirsty people something to drink? Have I invited strangers into my home? Uh, that's the list where Jesus wants us to start. Secondly, examine your shape. Now this is from a... a guy by Rick Warren, and I really like it. don't have enough time to give all the detail. But he says, every person has different spiritual gifts. That's what God's gifted me to do. They have a different kind of heart. That's what do I have the passion? What do I love to do? Uh, every person has different abilities. What natural talents, skills do I have? In other words, people say, you know, you're really good at this. I've noticed that. That's an ability. People have different personalities. You know, some are outgoing. Some are very reserved. Some are uh, exceptionally uh, skilled at leadership. What is your personality? Where does it call you to serve? And your experience. What life experiences have I had that God can redeem? This is what I love about Celebrate Recovery. The, the ministry that they do, it works around this idea of people's story. And about how God can redeem every story. That he never wastes a hurt. The third is, you ask for help. You say, I want to be more involved. I wish I knew how to get more involved. I wish, I, I wish we had someone at Northside that could help me be more involved here with the family. The good news is, I'll ask him to stand, we have an involvement minister. He's not just your song leader this morning. His whole job 
is based upon you coming to him and saying, I want to be more involved. I want to get more connected. I want to be more like Jesus. See, if you don't ask for help, then unfortunately, at some point, we're going to have to let Mark go. So he's begging you, please ask him for help. He's there to help you get better connected, to move from being served to serving. Save people, serve people. So there's only two natural questions to finish with. One, have you served? Are you going by his list or your list? Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you need to repent, not of your sinning, but of your sitting. Maybe you need to, to get off your rear end and get on your feet, take a knee and take a towel and do what Jesus called us to do. And secondly, be remiss if I didn't ask the second question, are you saved? And the question is, how do you know? And Jesus said, this is how you know if my disciple, if you're baptized and you obey everything I've commanded. Save people, serve people. Maybe you've heard what I've said. Maybe you wrote down what I said. You filled in all your blanks. You can even know what I said. You can recite what Jesus said. You can study what Jesus said. You can even say what he said and discuss what he said. But none of that matters until you do what Jesus said to do. And so if you're ready to be saved, if you're ready to have God add you to the church through the precious blood of Christ, to be buried with him, to begin that journey with Christ, we want to help you with that. Or if you've been sitting too much and not serving near as much, maybe you need our help and encouragement. We want to help you with that as well. Whatever your need, please come as together we stand and sing.